Hello and welcome to another episode of Social Justice Matters, the podcast from Social Justice Ireland. My name is Suzanne Rogers and I'm Research and Policy Analyst with Social Justice Ireland. As those of you who tune in regularly will know at this point, we release three different types of podcasts. Our interview series where we chat to experts on a range of policy areas. There's our 10 minute lesson series where we aim to educate and inform listeners on a particular area of policy, giving brief overview somewhere in the range of 8 to 15 minutes, hitting on the key points that we think people really need to know. And we have our seminar series where we have the opportunity to listen back to some of the most important presentations of past events. This week, it's one of those. Last year, 2021, we held our 34th annual policy conference on the theme of social rights for all, time to deliver on the European pillar of social rights. Lena Carr, who's Federal Secretary of the European Trade Union Confederation, presented a paper entitled The Role of ETUC or the European Trade Union Confederation in Delivering the EU Pillar of Social Rights. She opened up the second morning session. You can also listen back to the presentations of the previous papers that morning from Santina Bertolesi and Michelle Murphy, also as podcasts. And you'll find the video and collected papers on our website, www.socialjustice.ie. We hope you enjoy. Our next speaker is Lena Carr. Lena was re-elected European Trade Union Confederation Confederal Secretary in 2019, having been first elected in 2015. Her responsibilities at ETUC include macroeconomic policy, economic governance, and the, the European semester, the European pillar of social rights and social protection. Her paper is entitled The Role of the European Trade Union Confederation in Delivering the EU Pillar of Social Rights. Over to you, Lena. Thank you. Thank you very much. So, indeed, thank you very much for this uh, opportunity and this invitation to, to write a um, relatively short paper uh, telling everybody what we are doing in the ETUC, in the European Trade Union Confederation, when it comes to uh, the pillar. Here, um, you see some logos, yeah, you see the, the, our ETUC logo, but you also see the logo that we are using for the European Pillar of Social Rights. Um, and the third one, which says a people's recovery, uh, we put in place uh, when the crisis hit and uh, it became very clear that the recovery cannot be guided or push towards uh, economic growth only like it was done uh, uh, after the uh, 2008 financial crisis. So I think everybody uh, who is listening in uh, to this uh, seminar uh, or this uh, uh, event, e important event, um, uh, shares um, uh, the view that it is necessary to strengthen social rights. And just to, to remind ourselves um, what is at the background and where we are. So we have the Lisbon Treaty, which says that the EU strives for a social market economy and social progress. Um, that's all very well. Uh, but what we have seen consistently is that the business and the single market um, have been given uh, precedent over the rights of workers. Um, and the very clear example comes from 2007 from the European Court of Justice's uh, case uh, where a Latvian uh, construction company Laval uh, sued uh, the Swedish trade unions 
um, who uh, was taking uh, industrial action to defend agreed uh, wages and conditions of the workers uh, in Sweden. Um, the Swedish trade unions lost the case, so the priority was put on the uh, freedom to provide services rather than on the protection of uh, uh, workers' rights. There was a weak, uh, Viking case that followed, and there were a number of other cases um, around that period. Um, and then, of course, we had the 2008 economic crisis that, that hit us all globally, not only Europe, but globally, and uh, um, lots of or most economies worldwide are suffering. Um, and after the crisis, as I said, the economic growth uh, uh, came the panacea. It was the only priority that everybody was after. Um, now, uh, with the hindsight, many people admit that the austerity that was put in place uh, um, after the crisis, when the first uh, signs of growth uh, started, that it was a wrong policy, it was enacted too soon. Um, so hopefully there are some lessons learned from, from that crisis when we are dealing with the current ones. So again, what suffered was the social dimension uh, of the European cooperation. And uh, people in Ireland, I think, remember too painfully when the Troika took over and uh, what happened at that time. Um, some of my presentation has been made really uh, easy by the first panel because uh, Santina covered uh, uh, lots of the, the action plan that the Commission put forward uh, in the spring. But uh, I would like to just to return uh, to uh, uh, the, the action plan and uh, also to touch on what the pillar is supposed to be and what it's not supposed to be. So right from the beginning, before uh, the, uh, the pillar was actually published and before the proclamation in Gothenburg in November 2017, um, we were working really hard together with the Juncker Commission at the time uh, to actually have important uh, principles included um, in the pillar. Our general secretary, I don't know how many hours he spent up in the air going, uh, um, meeting uh, various prime ministers to convince them that it is important to have the European pillar of social rights um, and uh, everybody should uh, um, subscribe to it. The price for this was that uh, we have a pillar uh, that uh, is a strategy. Gives no extra rights for working people or citizens, people living in Europe. Um, and a number of member states insisted that the pillar cannot put uh, in place uh, direct obligations um, towards them, uh, neither political nor financial. So, but nevertheless, we have the European pillar of social rights. Um, and we took it as an opportunity to really to reset the, the priorities for the European Union and um, to use it as a backdrop, as a framework for um, 
demands um, for new social legislation. Uh, so we, we've heard at the time when the pillar was published that it's uh, um, a new agenda. It's a compass for upward uh, convergence towards uh, better living and working uh, conditions. Um, and uh, um, I agree with, with Santina when she said that uh, uh, despite the fact that the pillar itself is, is kind of not directly enforceable, but uh, the directives that uh, derive from the implementation of different principles of the pillar, they are enforceable and the member states have to comply with them. Um, so in the EDUC, we use it uh, indeed as an um, instrument to insist uh, on and influence uh, uh, the policy at the European level. Um, and uh, at the time, already in 2017, uh, we uh, uh, were saying that we need an action plan to actually deliver um, the European pillar of uh, uh, social rights. Um, and just to, to again, we, we have this, this nice little pie. It has 20 principles. Um, but when you look at uh, these principles, we have to bear in mind the treaties. Um, and why I say this is a very simple reason. In the treaties, we have the division of competences between member states and the European Union. Um, and half of the principles, the 10 principles that predominantly uh, cover social protection, um, they remain uh, the competence of national governments. This means that um, the EU can only take a coordinating action um, because the, um, the lead is in the hands of the member states. For us, from a trade union point of view, this uh, means that uh, uh, the social partners at national level um, have to play a really a vital role um, in pressing for and uh, monitoring the progress and how, <clears throat> excuse me, um, how to uh, make sure that uh, the different uh, uh, principles um, actually get uh, implemented at national level. <clears throat> um, so this is also just a recap, uh, the, the action plan when it was published uh, this year in the spring, uh, it was presented as the, as, uh, the new social rule book. Um, for us, it was important to have a strong uh, social Europe uh, for just transition and uh, recovery. And yet again, we started working uh, with the European Commission um, well before the action plan was published to make sure that um, what is uh, was going to be included in the action plan that it uh, uh, prioritized uh, the, the gaps and the shortcomings that uh, we were seeing through our members uh, um, in the European labor market, in the social protection systems, uh, in the healthcare and elsewhere. So for us, uh, what was really important was that the action plan puts people's well-being social progress 
upward convergence, uh, job-rich recovery, uh, adequate working conditions, quality jobs, decent living and social protection uh, at the forefront. Um, when it was published, unfortunately, uh, actions um, are not always as uh, ambitious as we hoped for and uh, as the various speeches at European level from uh, commissioners, from presidents, vice presidents would have suggested. Um, I think uh, this, this one has been covered well uh, by uh, Santina and um, uh, the speakers in the first, uh, first uh, panel um, already, but um, I just wanted to emphasize that um, even before the, the social and economic uh, damage uh, um, inflicted by the COVID uh, pandemic, um, the action from the Commission was a little bit slow. Uh, Juncker Commission started basically in his last year or one and a half years before their term ran out. So they basically just ran out of time uh, to have lots of uh, different proposals um, on the table on the table to uh, start uh, implementing the, the pillar. But the action plan was also important for us from a point of view precisely of the change of the commission. We needed the, the action plan to make sure that uh, the new European Commission um, would uh, continue with the work that the Juncker Commission started uh, on strengthening uh, social Europe. Um, so there are just some of the calls that we put uh, forward for the initiatives that we wanted to see. So we wanted to see uh, strengthened trade union and workers' rights, um, attention, strong attention to education and training, and especially bearing in mind uh, the just transition and the digital transition that we are all facing, youth employment, gender equality, extremely important, health and safety at work. Work-life balance was, um, the directive actually came already um, during the Juncker cabinet, but uh, work-life balance has been up high up on the agenda yet again because of, of the COVID pandemic. We are teleworking and we need initiatives to make sure that uh, uh, we are still working normal hours and uh, not uh, uh, very extensive and extended hours. Uh, we need social protection and proper pension. Uh, we need to combat the undeclared and insecure work, minimum income, uh, combating social dumping, uh, stronger public services, child protection. Um, and uh, from trade union point of view, we consider that uh, in order to really properly implement the European pillar of social rights, we need strong social dialogue. We need also workplace democracy and we need to have the right uh, to collective bargaining. Um, many speakers have mentioned the, the draft directive on uh, minimum wage, uh, but it is the directive that uh, addresses not only the minimum wage, but it also addresses uh, precisely the issue of collective bargaining uh, coverage, um, trying to push the member states towards uh, um, strengthening collective bargaining and social dialogue in, in member states. 
because unfortunately what we have seen is that there are member states that actively work to destroy social dialogue and that has to stop. Um, to implement, obviously, we need the full range of uh, various instruments, everything that is available at European level. So we need uh, legislation and policy measures. Uh, we need targets and standards. So uh, we have, um, together with the uh, pillar, we have the social scoreboard. Um, and now we also, at the European level, the European level social partners, so trade unions and employers, we have agreed on a set of indicators uh, that uh, are supposed to take us beyond the GDP. Uh, because so far, our well-being has been, uh, or lots of economists and lots of politicians insist uh, measuring the GDP only. But this is a, a poor measure to measure well-being. So we agreed uh, indica indicators that go well beyond. And... Um, our joint indicators were actually uh, picked up uh, by uh, the European Council in Porto uh, in their final statement. Uh, very important aspects. As the European pillar is supposed to be implemented through the European semester, um, we really need to make sure that the social priorities are included in the European semester uh, and in the country-specific recommendations. Last year, we didn't have, because of COVID crisis, we didn't have country-specific recommendations, but uh, we have been told that they will be back uh, in the semester cycle that is starting now. Uh, we need the multi-annual financial framework and, uh, and the recovery and resilience fa uh, facility uh, that uh, uh, are based uh, and take uh, into account uh, the the principles of the European pillar of social rights uh, when uh, the allocations are uh, decided. And of course, uh, as a backdrop for to everything, there are also United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. Um, but as I said, half of the pillar principles are uh, in the hands of the member states. So the member states uh, need to step up to make sure that we actually implement the pillar properly. Um, so there are some other um, aspects, elements that uh, are uh, split between uh, um, different priorities, sort of how do we create more and better jobs. Uh, so uh, in order to create job opportunities, we need uh, the real economy uh, developing in a positive direction. Uh, we need uh, industrial proper industrial strategy for, for Europe, and especially with uh, the green transition and digital transition. Uh, we need to make uh, the working standards fit for the future. Uh, we need uh, proper occupational health and safety standards, and we need uh, uh, safe and secure uh, labor mobility without uh, undermining uh, um, uh, the uh, working conditions and wages uh, inside the European Union. Union. So we need uh, uh, investment in skills and education, uh, and we need uh, uh, to really build uh, uh, equality because unfortunately inequality in all its dimensions has grown um, since the, the 2008 crisis and now even more even if there was a slight improvement uh, uh, before the COVID crisis hit. 
for the social protection, we of course need, uh, um, especially when we are looking at uh, the, the retired people, elderly people, we need uh, a life in dignity. Uh, we need to uh, have proper healthcare and uh, long-term care, um, and we need to have uh, uh, social protection <clears throat> that uh, is fit for the new world of work. Um, and uh, for, again, for delivering all this, we need to join the forces. Uh, we need to unlock the social in investment uh, through the uh, structural funds and the RRF, which is the Recovery and Resilience uh, Facility. Um, <clears throat> all social actors need to speak with uh, one voice pushing uh, the European uh, Union and the member states uh, towards deepening uh, and strengthening the social Europe. Uh, we need uh, a strengthened coordination and monitoring uh, uh, through the European uh, semester. Um, and why I say this is that um, although at European level, we have a very good cooperation as social partners, so trade unions and employers organizations at European level when it comes to the European semester, but uh, we run uh, regular surveys every year um, asking our members uh, how much they are involved in the semester uh, process back at home. And unfortunately, the picture is not rosy at all. Uh, the involvement of social partners is either very formal. Um, in very few member states, um, uh, there are more uh, discussions on the substance, but in lots of the member states, the social partners are excluded. Uh, so we need to concentrate on on the implementation of the, the actually the and enforcing the actual uh, social key. There is quite a bit of it uh, around, but we need to also concentrate on the proper application and enforcement. And as I mentioned, of course, uh, there are also the UN Agenda 2030 Sustainable Development Goals uh, that also all our member states need to um, uh, implement. So. Where are we so far? Um, so there has been action on uh, some job security and gender pay transparency, work-life balance, a just transition for workers. There has been uh, draft directive on collective bargaining and minimum wage um, on the protection for cross-border workers. Uh, also some action on socializing uh, uh, the European semester. There are some kind of green shoots um, and we haven't lost uh, hope completely. Um, and of course, um, uh, we need to um, um, influence uh, the post-COVID recovery plans in uh, member states. Um, so, as I said uh, the, at the beginning on the first slide, there was the logo of the people's recovery. And for us, before even uh, the recovery and resilience facility discussion started, we said that uh, um, the social ob objectives have to be put at the heart of the EU's recovery. And we took it as an opportunity also uh, um, to get uh, the, the pillar included as one of the main criteria or, or conditionalities for evaluating uh, uh, the expended, proposed expenditure uh, under the RRF, uh, uh, so in the national 
recovery and resilience plans. Uh, fair minimum wages have been mentioned many times. So uh, for us, this is at the core of Europe's recovery. We have too many working poor. This needs to be uh, remedied. We need to uh, make sure that uh, minimum wages are fair, even better if we can really have uh, achieve a living wages uh, in Europe. So we need to end the in-work po uh, uh, poverty and, and uh, inequalities that exist. Um, and as I mentioned already, uh, strengthening collective bargaining and uh, the respect, uh, of course, uh, of existing national trade union negotiating systems is, is a core. Um, platform work, very important uh, aspect uh, with the developments in our economies. Um, we know that when the, the platform, platform started operating, they were trying to convince us that it's an innovative economic, economic activity. But actually what they were doing was they were just using uh, modern tools to provide uh, very old fashioned services. If you take the taxi driving, if you take delivery services, sorry, this is not nothing innovative. It's just the way uh, they uh, use people to, to provide these services was new. So we uh, uh, wanted to, or we, we um, still demand that uh, there has to be when the um, proposal comes out on the 8th, at the moment it's, it's planned to come out on the 8th of December, that uh, the companies cannot uh, force uh, workers into false self-employment. Um, and we also uh, need to have in this legislation the rebuttable presumption of employment, uh, which means that uh, anybody who is engaged in the, uh, in the platform, uh, they are presumed to be employed unless the platform uh, um, proves otherwise that they, the, the workers are genuinely uh, freelance. Uh, so, Already in 2019, we had the transparent and predictable working conditions. Um, and this is important because uh, when we start working, we need to know what our rights are. Uh, and so this is, um, you can see member states have until August 22 to comply with the directive to transpose it into national systems. Uh, pay transparency. It is extremely important for achieving gender uh, pay equality. It is still work in progress. There are many, many problems and issues in this directive, but uh, we are working hard together with the uh, European uh, Parliament to, to try to have a very strong uh, position from the European Parliament uh, so that um, the directive, when it uh, is finalized, actually uh, helps to reduce the, the pay gap. Uh, then for the mobile workers uh, and uh, for posted workers, uh, the European Labour Authority was uh, set in place. Um, there were lengthy negotiations and debates on what the Labour Authority should really cover and what it should really do. It's still not the kind of authority that, for example, the banks have uh, or the competition authority. It doesn't have the teeth, it doesn't have the power, but it's still... It's the first uh, step and hopefully it will uh, help to, to combat uh, uh, social dumping, fight abuses uh, in uh, labor mobility, in the social security cross-border, social security, and also false uh, self-employment and other 
aspects. Um, Work-life balance, as I mentioned, uh, the directive uh, was published 19. Uh, it extended leave for, uh, for fathers, for carers, um, and uh, as I mentioned, also very important aspect that comes under work-life balance, but uh, uh, hopefully is going to be addressed uh, in a separate uh, uh, legal instrument at European level is the right to disconnect. Uh, health and safety principles, I think these are, have already been mentioned by Santina also, that there is a new occupational safety and health strategy, and there are uh, further proposals coming next year to uh, reduce workers' exposure to hazardous uh, chemicals. Um, in the social protection, uh, yes, we have the child guarantee, we have the platform for combating homelessness, uh, we have the affordable housing initiative. Um, and guidance to, uh, to member states um, relating to public procurement. Um, and uh, we are expecting the council recommendation on minimum income. Um, I will come back to the issue of recommendation uh, slightly later. Um, just transition. Uh, there needs to be a strong social protection and skills uh, from our point of view, and that's what we've been pushing for all throughout uh, the, uh, the uh, green um, European Green Deal and uh, discussions on uh, what next. We need uh, really robust social dialogue and the creation of high quality jobs. Um, and the EQC was really active in uh, working with the European Commission to uh, have the Just Transition Fund uh, put in place that uh, supports the regions that are most uh, affected uh, when they strive towards uh, a carbon neutral economy. Um, so the Commission, when it comes to creating job opportunities in, in the real eco economy, um, as I mentioned, we need new in industrial strategy without uh, which it is impos impossible to uh, uh, really make real progress, uh, because just transition doesn't mean that uh, we close the polluting industries, uh, we uh, uh, train, retrain, reskill people, uh, but if we don't create new alternative jobs for these people, they will be just highly skilled, highly trained, unemployed people. And this is no good for anyone, not for the economy, not for the people, not for the regions. Um, the action plan on social economy is coming very soon. Um, what we want to see is that um, um, the shore uh, instrument uh, actually has, uh, it has been evaluated and it has been evaluated as a success. So we want uh, to have a permanent instrument at European level that uh, uh, would uh, uh, be in place uh, in case of future uh, crisis. Then, of course, you have this, the Commission encourages. That comes from the action plan. And you see many aspects that the Commission is encouraging the member states to do. And this is one of the big problems, uh, precisely, that the Commission can only encourage. It can't really strongly uh, insist or force member states to do lots of things when it comes to social. Um, and uh, 
again, as I started at the beginning, this goes back to the treaties, the way the treaties uh, have been drafted, they have been agreed to. We have at the moment in Europe the um, a conference on the future of Europe, where we are supposed to be looking at where next or what we need to do to improve um, the connection between the European Union and the people and whether there are aspects and elements that uh, need to be improved. And one is definitely that we need to take a really critical look at how much uh, uh, European Union, European Commission can have a say when it comes to the social field uh, in Europe. Um, here it's the investing in skills. Again, it comes from the action plan. So I'm not going to, to stop here for the sake of time. I'm very conscious that the time is running. Um, so health and social protection. Again, there are initiatives that uh, uh, are uh, in their action plan and uh, uh, that we all need to work on. Uh, these are um, uh, very important uh, aspects uh, and have been mentioned uh, also by, by previous uh, speakers already. So from our point of view, when we, when we analyzed uh, the action plan, when it was published, uh, we looked at uh, uh, what we asked for, uh, what we wanted to see, and what is missing or what is there but is, is weak. Uh, so the need to prolong emergency measures, um, the urgency doesn't seem to come through. Um, when we are talking about economic governance, the escape clause that sits in the Stability and Growth Pact that uh, uh, tends to tie the member states' hands when it comes to public investment, is activated until the end of 2022, meaning that the Commission is not going to put forward country-specific uh, or fiscal recommendations to countries to curtail their public spending, at least something. Uh, but uh, we need to look uh, beyond the 2022, and uh, that's another field where uh, EQC is working uh, very hard and very actively to actually have the Stability and Growth Pact uh, reformed uh, in a way that uh, uh, doesn't constrain the member states, but actually facilitates uh, public investment and also in the social field. We, we are saying joining the forces to deliver. Uh, and here you see various um, uh, different instruments that we can use <clears throat> um, in order to really <clears throat> implement the, the, the pillar and to improve the, sorry, to improve the functioning of social Europe, that we really can have the social market economy, as the treaty says. Um, <clears throat> the key for us is precisely the, the economic governance and the semester. And as I said, the revision of the economic governance is open now. Um, the uh, discussions on uh, also uh, re revising the semester, how it functions, is also uh, being discussed. And one of the very important elements uh, that uh, we want to see in the revision of the, uh, the economic governance is that um, we have the macroeconomic scoreboard. Um, sorry, we have the macroeconomic um, uh, provisions in the Stability and Growth Pact. Um, and, but we want the balancing um, arm. So we want to have the social imbalances procedure to balance the macroeconomic imbalances procedure. 
So it's not only the economy, but it's also the social. So when economies are looked at, they need to be looked at from a point of view, are the economies delivering for people? Are they also delivering for social? Um, and this is one of the, the very uh, kind of new in initiatives that has uh, cautiously been, uh, the, the debate has started. The very first discussion was uh, in October in the Social um, Affairs uh, Council. And uh, we are uh, waiting uh, very much to see um, and pushing also this uh, uh, social imbalances procedure to uh, to actually see light to really uh, become part of the, the governance of the, the European Union to make sure that uh, we are not going to see the kind of recovery that we saw after the 2008 crisis where economy grew, but people were left behind. Um, so these are the very important aspects uh, from our, our point of view um, and where our work uh, continues. And uh, the key for us is precisely the, the, the strategy, the, the backdrop of the European pillar of social rights. So whatever happens in member states uh, at EU level, everything has to take the principles on board and has to work towards implementing uh, these uh, principles. So thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I hope you found it useful. And again, you can access all the papers and videos from our policy conference on our website, www.socialjustice.ie. If you have any ideas for future podcasts, please feel free to email us at secretary at socialjustice.ie with your suggestions. Until next time, stay safe.